Hey, and welcome to the Humanity Church Podcast. So excited that you're here. We hope that you enjoy this week's talk and it really connects to your life in a meaningful way. If you're live in the Pomona area, we would love to have you at one of our gatherings at 10 a.m. or at one of our humanity groups that meet all throughout the week all over the city. If you want more information about our community, you can go to www.humanitychurch.com or download our app on your phone on Apple or Android. If you like what you're hearing here and want to continue to support the ongoing work at Humanity, you can text the word Humanity Church, one word, to 77977 and give back financially in just about 10 seconds. Hey, and here's this week's talk that was given live at our Sunday gathering at Humanity Church. Let's, uh, let's jump into our conversation this morning. Let's just pause. Let's quiet our hearts and our minds and let's pray. Jesus, we, we thank you for your presence here this morning and just how you've uh, moved within us and around us. And we thank you for uh, just these incredible worshipers who have led us this morning. And God, I thank you for um, our live production team, our connection team, our, our family ministries team who are all working together to create this sacred space. And we are grateful that you just show up into our shell of an experience that, that we are longing for and you show up in power and you show up with love and, and favor and you show up with goodness and hope and freedom. And so today we just ask for more of that, God. As we, as we learn to be followers, God, would you teach us just your uh, ways that we might um, be led in the way everlasting, as your word says. So we are so grateful, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, we're in a series that we started last week that we're calling Disciple, and we're taking a look at what it looks like to be a follower, which even the word disciple is not something that we use on a regular basis. We're, we're, we're really talking about what it means to be an apprentice, to be a learner, to be a person who is a student of Jesus. See, here's the thing. We have all been an apprentice of something in your life. Some, some things you're aware of, like a hobby or a career or something fun that you do or a sport or a trade. And we all have had that experience. But here's the thing. We were actually designed to both lead and to follow. We, we like the leading part, but it's the following part that sometimes we struggle with the most and what it looks like to actually be led. Great leaders will always tell you that not only have they been discipled by someone, but who they're currently being discipled by. Because great leaders recognize that being a disciple, being an apprentice, being a student is not something that ends. It's not something that you disciple your way out of. It just becomes what's the next level of discipleship, of apprenticeship, of studenthood that I step into in this moment. And here's the thing. We live in a generation that wants people to follow us. This is a follow me generation. In fact, social media, whether it's Instagram or TikTok, people are, people are always looking, oh, how many followers do you have? People want people to follow them. But the question that I always ask is, do you have something worth following? Is your life actually worth following? I think that's a question that all of us has to ask. If we, if we want any type of influence, if we want any type of power, if we want any type of freedom or have any group of people decide that they're going to follow us, the question that we have to start with is, is my life actually worth following? And what does it take to actually get to that space? And this is our word. This is our word for 2022. That I, I've never been more clear going into a year ever in my life that the year 2022 is the year of discipleship. 
It's a year of learning to be students. It's a year of learning to be apprentices. It's a, it's a year of learning to follow. And like we talked about last week, following begins with another word that we don't use oftentimes in our vernacular, this word lordship. And we were actually made for lordship. Whether we like it or not, I don't know about you, but look, I, I've been a follower of Jesus like since I came out of the womb pretty much. And even when I hear that word lordship that's familiar to me, there's something inside of me that bristles because I don't want someone to rule over me. I don't want someone to control me. I don't want someone to tell me what to do. I don't want anyone else to say, hey, this is how you ought to live your life in some way, shape, or form. But the fact of the matter is, is that human beings were made for lordship. And I know that because from a sociological perspective, any culture that you step into, you will find some type of government system that they've created. Whether you like it or not, that there's something inside of us that says, we need someone or something to rule over us to make life a little easier. We need someone to tell us at least what we should or shouldn't do. We need someone to set up some boundaries or some rules that we should live by, whether that's a dictatorship or a Republican or a democracy. We put people over us that tell us how we might live our lives. And so we were designed to have a Lord in some way, shape, or form. So the question really is, do you have a Lord? The question is, what is lording over your life right now? That's the question. The question isn't like, when will you choose who is your Lord? The question is, what is lording over your life? Because here's the thing, if you, if you refuse to choose who will be Lord or what will be Lord over your life, something will gladly take that place for you. Something will. And we talked last week about there are different levels of lordship in terms of the freedom that they bring us because every lord has a level of freedom that they bring you. And if, if we were to do like a scale of lordship and freedom, probably like over here on the less free side would probably be like heroin, right? <laughs> Like that heroin as a Lord generally doesn't provide a lot of freedom in the middle of that. And then, then we might move a little further and say like, well, you know, alcohol might, might be like a little less, like a little more freedom than, than heroin in, in that context there. And then, and then we might move the scale up and say, well, well, food, you know, food is a good Lord because you need it, but it's not like going to be addictive like the ways that other things are over here. And then we might move it up a little bit and say, well, money Money, money provides a lot of freedom that, that maybe heroin doesn't provide. And so on the scale of lordship, money might be on this side of the scale. But the fact of the matter is, Jesus invites us into a relationship with him where he is Lord. And what he declares to us, what he promises to us is that when we make him Lord, what he says is, look, I'm gonna set you free. And he actually makes an even more audacious claim than that. He actually says, everything else that you make Lord over your life will not set you free. It will not even come close to the freedom that I'm going to set you up for. And here's the thing. Jesus is not trying to be exclusive. He's not trying to say, yeah, like it's just me and, and nothing else. I'm like the new thing. What he's actually saying is, look, no, no one else and nothing else has come for you. Nothing else is sacrificed for you. No one else has gone to the lengths that I have to secure your spiritual future like I have. And so it's an invitation, not a demand into making him Lord. It's always ironic to me that the, the one entity who has every right to demand our Lordship is the one who simply invites us to choose it or not. And it's up to us to step into that space. And here's the thing that we talked about yesterday. When it comes to Lordship and Jesus and freedom, it cannot be just a divine suggestion when we step into relationship with Jesus. 
Because let's be honest, how many of us, when we step into a relationship with Jesus or connect to God in some way, we take it as like divine suggestion among all the other divine suggestions that we get, right? There's like the life hacks that we get on Facebook and then there's all the other self-help stuff and then we throw some Jesus in as well and we get a rig rounded picture. What Jesus actually says is, look, it's, it's all of me or nothing because it actually does not work to have two lords at the same time informing you. One will win out. So you can't simultaneously declare that I am going to get healthy this year and I will allow pizza in my life. Sorry, it just doesn't work like that. <laughs> you get to pick one. One's gonna win out, the pizza or, or the health. And let's be honest, pizza wins, right? <laughs> and this is where we find ourselves in this conversation about choosing who is going to be Lord. There's only one. And when we choose him, we find life and we step into that space fully. Now, when we talk about our spiritual journey and discipleship and, and lordship and what that looks like. It's actually hard to put language to it. That's one of the things I've noticed as a communicator about spiritual things. It's often difficult to figure out what are the words that communicate this invisible reality that we are swimming in so that we can fully understand it. Because it's hard to describe something that you cannot see. And so when we, when we talk about spiritual things, we oftentimes use metaphors, to explain the spiritual reality that we find ourselves in. See, because, because talking about spiritual things is not like talking about your car, right? Like if I was gonna say, how's your car? You would say, well, it's running good. You know, there's this little putter that I can hear and sometimes it does this weird jolt thing or it's going fine, whatever it may be. You can talk about it in a physical way because it's a physical element that you can say, hey, this is exactly what's taking place. But how many of you even struggle with the question when people ask you, how are you? Right? Like, how do I even answer that question, right? Like, how, how am I physically? How am I spiritually? How am I emotionally? Like, I, Monday was okay. I think I'm okay. How many of you even like, I don't even know if I'm okay, right? But then we just boil it all down to, I'm fine, right? <laughs> or I'm good. Because it's really hard to take this invisible spiritual reality and put words on it. And so we boil it down to, I'm fine, or I'm okay, or I'm not that great. Because we don't really know how to put words to this. And so rather than complicate spiritual reality that is invisible, we use metaphor. And there is a metaphor that is constantly used in this discussion about lordship and about discipleship that the scriptures use over and over and over again, and that we use in our language quite often when we talk about this subject. And so I want to read some passages of scripture and see if you can actually catch the metaphor that's used in this. In Deuteronomy 28, 7, it says, the Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before you. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. First Timothy 6, 12, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you, were made, when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Joshua 23, 10, one of your men puts to, fight, uh, puts to flight a thousand for the Lord your God is he who fights for you just as he promised you. Psalms 18, 39, for you have girded me with strength for the battle. You have subdued me under those who rose up against me. Ephesians 6, 16 through 17, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Catch the metaphor? We even sang the song this morning as we started off, the battle belongs to you, right? There is this, there is this metaphor of battle, of war, of, of fighting, of combat that we see in this struggle to both connect to Jesus as Lord and to be his disciple. Now look, here's the thing. On a scale of lover and fighter, right? 
I am definitely more of a lover over here, right? I mean, I, I probably been, I, no, I literally have been in one fist fight in my life and I hit the guy so hard, he looked at me and I started crying because I realized that I had hurt him. And I, I, I was like, no more, none of this ever again. This is not okay. So I'm just telling you on the scale of lover and fighter, this is not naturally where I go to. I don't oftentimes go to, hey, let's have this conversation around what it means to fight, around what it means to be in war, or what about means to be combat, about what it means to be in battle with the middle of this. And mainly because people have abused this metaphor in the Christian context. Because oftentimes people will either declare that they are in some type of persecuted fight that they're not actually in, or they turn everything into a fight, and they turn everything into a battle that they're struggling with, when half the time I'm just like, no, that's just really dumb choices that you've made. And so we misuse this, whether it's in persecution or politics, we get confused about this metaphor. Nevertheless, it's all throughout the scriptures, and it is very much tied to this conversation around being an apprentice and connecting to Jesus as your Lord. How many of you, just a survey, would say in some way, shape, or form in life, you are tired right now? Raise your hand. Online, just put tired, right? <laughs> you can go back and watch the comments. At some point, it'll say tired, tired, tired in there. Now, now how many of you have found that, that you don't even know why you're tired at times? You're just like, I'm tired, and I don't really know why. Like, I got enough sleep, and I, I'm eating okay, but you just get worn down through life. Right? So there's, there's times where we actually know that we're tired and then we don't even know why we're tired and then we find ourselves exhausted in the middle of all of this. And here's the thing. On top of this, how many of you have noticed that the second you decide to like get your life right, the second you decide that, yay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start doing the things that I know I'm called to do. I'm going to start connecting to Jesus. I'm going to start being a better husband. I'm going to start being a better parent. I'm going to start being a better friend. I'm going to start fully stepping into the things that I know God has called me into. How many of you have noticed that the second you start stepping into that simultaneously, it seems like the universe starts conspiring in your favor and you're like, whoa, all these things are starting to open up that I hadn't seen before. And then it seems at the same time, like the entire universe has opened the gates of hell against you. Yes. Anyone notice that? All at the same time? Like the second that you declare, all right, this is the woman or the man that I'm going to be. That's like, here's all the provision that you need to step into that fully. And here is everything that could possibly go wrong all at the same time, right in your face. <laughs> Why is that in the middle of all of this? Your kids go wrong, your marriage goes wrong, your finances go crazy. If this was a country song, your car would break down and your dog would run away, right? <laughs> Could it be that there is more to this battle concept than we're aware of or at least comfortable with in our Western context? Because here's the thing, if there's a war, then it means that there's an enemy. And if there's an enemy and a war, it means that there are futures at stake, not only for you, but for our families and our communities and our cities and the people that we surround ourselves with in the middle of this. So if there was a war, and if there was an enemy, and if there was a future at stake, it would be worth knowing who our enemy is and where this battle lies so that we know exactly how to fight in the middle of this. Even as we sing this morning, the battle belongs to you. How many of you are like, that sounds awesome. I don't know what battle we're talking about, right? <laughs> but what does that look like for us? See, part of the problem in our culture is that we are so very confused about this. That we're, we're aware that there is this struggle 
going on around us. How many of you, it doesn't take a Sunday morning sermon to recognize that our world is a little bit of chaos right now, right? So we recognize that there is this struggle going on around us, this fight that's going on around us, and we end up oftentimes fighting the wrong enemy and entering into the wrong battles because we don't actually know who the enemy is and how we are actually called to fight in the middle of this. See, I I believe that we live in what I call a, a conversational universe, that we are swimming in conversations. We are walking in a physical world of things that we can touch and feel. We interact, like you're sitting on a chair and you're gonna get in your car later. You're gonna put physical food in your mouth and you're gonna go to an actual office. There, there's a physical world in which we live, in which we engage, in which we operate in. But our mind is constantly in a conversation about all of the things that we interact with about all of the relationships that we find ourselves in, about all the circumstances that we find ourselves connecting to, and how many of you are extremely intimate with that little voice inside of your head? Like, you get it. You know exactly what that little voice is, and how many of you get that that little voice influences so much of your life? That it influences who you are and who you aren't, determines what you can and can't do, it determines what's possible and not possible in your life, it determines who you can trust and not trust, it determines who God is and isn't. This is why two people can go through the exact same circumstances and have very different experiences around them. I remember when I first met Marla, And she was living at my parents' house. I had an apartment, and we were dating at the time. And uh, I remember one day, I called her up. It was a rainy day, and I said, hey, honey, how you doing? Like, uh, I didn't call her honey then. That's weird to say. Uh, Marla, how you doing? Uh, That's that's an old married folks term. But uh, uh, I I said, hey, Marla, how you doing? And she said, oh, I'm having the great, I'm having the best morning. And I was like, yeah, why are you having the best morning? She said, oh, I just went out, and I ran for like two hours in the rain. And I was like, on purpose, right? Like, <laughs> and, and I'm like, wow, you, you did that for fun, right? Like, that it did not compute in my head that someone might run in the rain for two hours for fun, right? <laughs> and this was one of those moments where I realized, oh, we have very dramatic interpretations of fun, right? And this is going to probably come up in marriage counseling later on in life about what interpretations of fun looks like because when Marla looked at this activity of running, she's like, this is awesome. And then when you add rain on top of it, she's like, this is even more awesome. When I look at that, I'm like, where is the closest fireplace and hot chocolate, right? Keep me as far away from that as possible in there. See, the external language that we listen to in our head, (laughs) the, the internal language that we listen to will determine our experiences and then determine the direction of our life. The question that we have to ask and have to listen, have to ask ourselves is whose voice are we listening to? And that can be very difficult to determine. See, Jesus had this conversation about this reality with a group of people who believed in him and were still swayed by this other voice in the culture. John 8, 42 through 47, Jesus is talking to these people who actually said they believe in Jesus, and yet they hadn't really decided to follow him yet. And it says, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would have loved me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, 
not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native tongue, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Pretty intense moment, right? Of all the things that Jesus could probably say to you, it's like, you're the son of Satan, right? <laughs> but this is, this is the intensity at which Jesus starts combating this internal narrative that we find ourselves in. See, Jesus is actually setting up these two realities for us. This kingdom of God and this kingdom of darkness. This kingdom of, of light that he has called us into, of hope and of freedom. And this kingdom of evil and of hopelessness and despair. And here's what he tells us is that these two realities, these two kingdoms speak two different languages. And he makes that very clear in this conversation. And here's the thing, the language that you understand and the language that you speak will determine the reality that you live in. On my birthday last weekend, a group of friends of us went and saw West Side Story. And uh, we went to the theaters and we're sitting there. Now, one of the things I knew about this modern interpretation of West Side Story going into it is that a lot of it was in Spanish and they chose not to put any subtitles in there. And so we're sitting there in a whole row and of the people in the row that could speak Spanish, there was myself, there was Nena, and there was Juan. And, and at least, I can at least understand it. Don't ask me to speak Spanish after this gathering. But I can at least understand it. And, and so here we are going through the movie and they would be speaking English and then they'd port, jump into Spanish and they'd have that moment and there'd be a joke that would come up and Juan, Nena, myself, <laughs> we'd laugh. Everyone else is like, what's, what's going on? right? <laughs> and then, then, then they would go by and they, they'd like tell something really deep and we'd all go, oh. And Marla would be like, what, what's happening, honey? Right? Because she didn't speak the language. And then, you know, something other profound would be, and, and then, you know, there'd be moments where we're crying and they're like, what, what's going on over there? Because they didn't speak the language. See, the language that you understand will determine the reality that you live in. And here's the thing, the reality that Jesus invites us into his kingdom, in his kingdom, the native tongue is truth. And the other kingdom that you are constantly being invited into, this kingdom of darkness, the only language that is available there in that space is lies. And the language that you speak will determine the reality that you live in. So Jesus starts talking about the devil here, something that you will rarely hear me speak on. So welcome to the rare moment. <laughs> we have all kinds of cultural images of the devil that, that run around. Usually he's red, right? Has horns, pointy tail, pitchfork, usually sitting on a shoulder somewhere. And that's oftentimes the image that we have of this. Or maybe, you know, we have this image of Dana Carey on Saturday Night Live saying, the devil, right, or Satan, right? <laughs> that's usually the image that we have when we're talking about Satan here. And here's the thing. I found that so many Christians today feel that we have somehow evolved our way out of this very rudimentary thinking. In the same way that maybe Zeus or Athena may have been there, that, that we have somehow evolved our way into a higher level of thinking now and that this should not be a part of the reality that we step into. But today I would like to actually challenge you on your cultural image of who this figure is in the scriptures known as Satan 
or the devil in the middle of this. Because what I would love for you today to switch in your mind of seeing him as an entity with a pitchfork and a a forked tail to a voice that exists inside your head. Because this entity doesn't exist. But I can tell you that the voice that speaks to you on a regular basis absolutely does exist. And it's speaking to you all the time and it is echoing all around you. And his native tongue is lies. And he knows no other language but that. That he is actually incapable of speaking anything but untruth to you on a regular basis. And because the scriptures say that he actually controls the culture and controls the universe around us, that the language that we are swimming in in the culture around us is a language of untruths that are being spoken to us on a regular basis. Now, stay with me. Before you roll your eyes and think, oh no, Nathan's gone conspiracy theory here, right? That's not where we're headed. But think about it. From the moment that you wake up, are you not inundated with untruths? Think about it. How many of you get up out of bed and the first thought is something like, oh my gosh, my body? Or how many of you get up and the first thought is, oh my gosh, I have so much to do today. I'm so overwhelmed. I don't have the time. I don't have the energy. I don't have the money. How many of you, your first thought is, oh my gosh, why are the kids up and I I should be sleeping and I need more? How many of you, your immediate thought in the morning has something to do with scarcity? I wonder where that thought came from. And then it's interesting because for so many of us, we, we get up and then we pull out our phone or we turn on the television and then we are inundated with a whole other conversation that comes our way. Because if you look at almost every advertisement campaign that comes your way, the essential element of every advertising comes that way, that comes your way, is that your life is incomplete and you need fill in the blank. And so you are being bombarded with you don't have enough and you're not pretty enough and you're not strong enough and you will never have enough if you don't do this, fill in the blank. And then you turn on the news and then you see how the world is falling apart around us and that we're never gonna get our way out of this and it doesn't care. I don't care what political side you're on, everything is falling to pieces. And then as you go through your day, how many of you have a conversation that sounds like, well, I'm not really doing as good as them at work, at parenting, at my spiritual walk, and my faith, and my body? How many of you have a conversation that sounds like, well, you know, I need to compete against them because we can't be on the same team. I need to get ahead. Because if I get ahead, that means something about me, and then I'm able to move forward, and then I'm able to have what I need in life. How many of you, you spend your mental thoughts evaluating life, what's safe, what's unsafe, what should be afraid of? How many of you find yourself in that space constantly throughout the day? I mean, let's just be honest. How many of you struggle with a, with a relationship in life? You just struggle with a relationship in life. How many of you would also say that you know exactly what to do in that relationship and you struggle doing it? <laughs> how many of you struggle with your health in life? And how many of you know exactly what you need to do? And yet all the other thoughts say otherwise. How many of you struggle in your finances, in your careers, in your parenting, in your self-image, in your faith, and you know exactly what you need to do or you know exactly where you need to go to get the information to do what you need to do and there's still an action or a voice inside of you that says you're not good enough and this is gonna be the way that it always is and that you're never gonna have what you need and your kids are not gonna turn out the way they want to and your career is gonna fall apart. Where did all those thoughts come from? How many of you have thoughts that pop up and you're like, that clearly did not come from me? See, if there was an enemy, 
he wouldn't have a pitched fork. He would just have a tongue that spoke untruths constantly to us day after day after day. And we don't know how to stop them at times. No wonder we're exhausted. So maybe there is something to this reality that Jesus speaks to. One of my, one of my favorite movies of all times is Inception. We watched it last night. And it's this, it's this profound idea that, that I wish was true, but you, you, the idea that you could actually break into people's dreams and then steal ideas out of their subconscious. That you, while people are sleeping, you could enter into their dream and basically extract bits of information, pieces of data that you needed. Now, now in the movie Inception, where they were trying a new concept where they could break into people's subconscious and implant an idea. And what they, what, the whole premise of the film was that if you could implant, implant an idea into someone's head, that it could then shift the future for that person. That you could essentially control them if you just got the idea in their head and watched it grow. Now, here's the thing. When we talk about our enemy, when we talk about the, the, the oppression of our own spiritual lives, the devil has actually no real control over your body. I know sometimes like in our, in our cultural idea of Satan, it almost looks like the poltergeist, right? Or the exorcist, where all of a sudden we're like taken over and we have like, we growl and then, you know, and then like Satan controls our body as we go through things. There's like very rare occasions of that. That's not actually the norm in any way, shape or form. In fact, I would actually say that, that the enemy has real no control over your emotions. He can't make you feel anything in any shape or any way or in any space. There's no control over that domain. And there's real no permission in, in any of those spaces. But the weapon that the enemy has against you that is so powerful is inception. That if he can implant an idea inside of you and then foster it and watch it grow then he has absolute control over your body. He has absolutely control of your emotions. He has absolute control over every single area of your life. And so if he could implant one lie and then foster it and watch it grow, he has you. And all it takes is one lie, spoken in the language of untruth. All it takes is one thought. Did you really think that you could have a healthy marriage for life? You? You don't have what it takes, right? You know, you, know you can't trust them, right? They're probably just like your dad. And so you probably shouldn't get too close, and you probably shouldn't open your heart like that. Or, hey, hey, you should probably look at your bank account. You might want to start panicking, because let me just tell you about what your future is coming and who you're going to be as a result of this. Or, hey, the world is falling apart, and the church is a mess, so get out while you can. Or, hey, you are just completely incompetent in handling your own life. So why even try? See, all it takes is one idea that we start conversing with in his native tongue. All it takes is one lie that gets implanted and then we start conversing with it in his native language and then he has us. And in that moment, all it takes is an idea and he has our emotions, he has our actions, he has our finances, he has our relationships, he has our body and all it takes is a moment for us to start conversing with him in the language of untruth. 
So the question that we have to answer as disciples, as followers in this process is, what is the native language that we will be studying and speaking? That's essentially what Jesus invites us into. What Jesus invites us into is learning a new language. He says, I would like to invite you out of this tongue of lies and into this new language of truth that I am inviting you into. In fact, right before Jesus has this conversation around you being children of the devil and him being the father of lies and him speaking untruths into your life, he says this very profound statement right before this in John 8, 31. He says, to the Jews who had believed to him, Jesus said, if you hold my teachings, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. See, much of following Jesus is simply this. It is learning a new language of truth and then practicing that language over and over and over again so that we might be set free with this tongue. But it is a fight. It is a fight to keep comprehending and learning the language Especially when the culture and the world around us and our internal conversation is only fluent in the language of lies. This is why in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 6, a passage that so many of us are familiar with, he says, for though we, wage, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. Which, by the way, if we pause here, this means that our fight, our battle, is never with people. It is actually never with another person. That any fight, any combat, any war that we speak of is never, ever, ever against another person. In fact, in Ephesians, it says, our battle is not against flesh and blood. Every time that you are in a war, our fight is with the language of lies that we and other people have started to, started to converse with. It is the language of the culture that the people around us have started to speak that has infiltrated us. See, here's the thing. You are never, ever fighting your spouse or your kids or a Republican or a Democrat or a socialist or a capitalist or your gay neighbor or your straight neighbor or your black neighbor or your white neighbor. We are fighting the lies that have overtaken us. And we are fighting for the truth and releasing freedom in that moment. And part of, the, part of the reasons why I think that as a culture, we celebrate Martin Luther King Jr. this weekend is because he firmly grasped this idea. That he recognized that, look, our battle is not a battle of flesh and blood, which is why he refused to physically fight. He was a pacifist. And he said, I refuse to get in battle. Look, I'm not making anyone my enemy which is why he was one of the people who were able to rally people of all different colors and all different socioeconomic backgrounds and all different spaces and all different nationalities and say, hey, we are fighting this untruth together because what he convinced people was this untruth that disproportionately affects the African-American community actually affects everyone here. And when you start looking at someone as less than, it doesn't just affect them, it affects everyone. And so we fight for truth so that this population can be set free, but in the process, we all might be set free. See, next time you are tempted to fight or be offended by or blame a person, remind yourself that your one job is to love them. And remind yourself that you are attacking the untruth that they are speaking. Your job is to be a language teacher 
and to help them step into a new level of freedom. And this is why Christians can be earthly pacifists and spiritual warriors. Because here is the weapons that we fight with as he continues. He says, the weapons we fight with are not weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. Notice that it doesn't say the weapons that we fight with are guns or knives or memes or posts or or comments, or snarky remarks. We fight by taking captive ideas that are spoken over us, by us, around us, by the father of lies. And we take those pieces of language captive and we start speaking back a new language. And this is what being a disciple starts with, with taking every thought captive and saying, what tongue is this being spoken? Is this spoken in the language of truth or lies? And what must I do with it? And and I love that it says you actually have to take every thought captive. It doesn't actually say some. It It doesn't say like, hey, just, hey, there's a few that you need to take. It's like every thought that you have. Just assume that it is in a language other than truth. Take it captive and then make it obedient to Christ in the middle of this. Here's the crazy thing. I I know this is a secret that we let out of the bag every now and then here at Humanity Church, but here's the secret. You want to hear it? You don't have to believe everything that you think. (laughs) I know, it's, it's like a crazy idea, right? But you don't actually believe everything that you think. See, again, this is an all or nothing position. Every thought captive. See, it does not work when you speak the language of truth and the language of untruth all at the same time. You are not called to be bilingual. In this case, see, it doesn't work when you speak the truth of finances, but you don't speak truth to your greed. It doesn't, speak, it doesn't work when you speak the truth to your purpose, but then you are speaking lies about your schedule and how busy you are. It does not work when you speak truth about your career, but then you speak in lies about your addiction. It does not work when you speak in truth about your kids, but then you speak in lies about your marriage. You are either conversing in truth or you are conversing in lies and one or the other will take over. One of the languages will take over. I mean, how many of you have ever attempted to learn a new language, right? Whether it's in high school or maybe you got on Duolingo and you're like, hey, I'm going to do this or whatever it may be. It's awkward, isn't it? And it's embarrassing. It's really embarrassing at first. Like, I love watching new Spanish speakers try to learn the language. It's, it's cute, right? And I was once, I was once a, a poor gringo with that, right? With that. But the thing is, if, if you get on like Duolingo or you take a Spanish class, they start teaching you awkward phrases. Like I remember like early on when I was learning Spanish, it was like, el gato y la manzana están sobre la mesa. The cat and the apple are on the table, right? And you're just like, I don't know what that, I don't, okay, somewhere there's a cat and an apple on a table somewhere, Right? And then you, then you like get out into the real world and then you start like trying to use your language to, uh, you know, order food for the first time. You know what I'm talking about? And you're like all nervous at the, Spanish, at the Mexican restaurant. You're like, um, burrito con queso y roja sauce, you know? <laughs> and it's awkward and it's clunky and you just want to speak what you know. 
because it's comfortable and it's familiar and it's easy. And in the same way, when you start studying the native language of truth, the native language of Jesus, it will feel awkward and it will feel clunky at first. And you will want to go back to the native language of lies that you have spoken because it's just easier. But what Jesus says is like, keep going because there will be a day where you will become fluent. And there will be a day where speaking truths will feel way more natural than speaking the lies that we find ourselves in. If you are not fluent yet in the language of truth, just keep repeating the phrases because eventually you will turn into a truth speaker. Eventually that will become the native language that you speak in. See, when Jesus starts speaking his truth into you and when he invites you to speak it out, it will feel out of place. Because all of a sudden, Jesus will say, look, here's the language. The pathway to greatness is service and humility. Let's repeat that. Let's, the pathway to greatness is service and humility. And he'll just say, keep repeating that. Keep repeating that. And at first, you just keep re repeating the phrase. And then all of a sudden, you're like, oh, man, I, I, should, I should go serve that person. I, I should go give my life away. You know what? When I'm talking to my, to my spouse or my friend or my kids or that person that I disagree with, I should speak kind words. That's, that's the truth. Or we find ourselves going, oh, I actually have so much that it is my turn to give back of my finances, of my time, of my energy. So you start doing all of that. But here's the thing, I guarantee you the second that you start practicing your truth, the enemy will come back and say, wait, hold on, hold on. Let's have another conversation in the language that's easier for you. And he'll start saying, do you really have time for all of that? You're, you're gonna give what? You, you, wait, hold, <laughs> have you checked your bank account yet? Have you checked with them? Wouldn't it just feel easier to yell at them? Wouldn't it just be easier to get your way? You can't give that much. You're gonna be left empty if you do. And he starts inviting us back into the language that we are familiar with. See, it's in that moment that you decide which language you'll be fluent in. It's in that moment that you decide which language will determine your future and which one will be your native tongue. Which idea you will allow to be incepted and take root and which idea you will allow to determine your future. See, it's in that moment that you get to say, I refuse to speak the language of untruth. I am no longer going to be speaking that and to communicate back to him in a language of truth that he is unfamiliar with. See, there is power when the enemy comes at you speaking in his native tongue and you just speak back, no, you forgot I'm chosen. No, you forgot I'm a child of God. No, you forgot my future is exponentially more beautiful than my past. You forgot I am loved and I am a lover. You forgot I am forgiven and I am the one who forgives. You forgot I am made new. I am a conqueror. My battle is won. I am a masterpiece. I am holy. I am royal. I am a priest. I am provided for in abundance that I am free and victorious and nothing can change these truths. Neither death, nor life, nor angel, nor demon, nor present, nor future, nor any power, neither height, nor depth, nor any other created thing on this earth can separate me from this truth that I now speak into my life. And here's the thing, the enemy hears this and he goes, though they're speaking in gibberish, I don't get it. Let's get out of here. Because he doesn't speak the language of truth. He doesn't know it. And so he flees. 
In other words, the enemy will say, oh, our ideas are unimplantable here. So let's move on. Do you see why choosing who you will follow is so critical? Because the language that you speak will determine the future that you have. This is why, by the way, the church is so critical. Why gathering together is so critical in ways that we have yet to even understand. I, I know this week I put out a, a memo just saying, hey, can we be here at 9, 9.50? Thank you all for showing up. Thank you online for showing up early, being here present. Yeah, which is awesome. And here's the thing. I, I'm not like, oh man, we need more numbers here. I'm not that guy. I, I, I'm not like, oh man, I, uh, like, I, know, I know you're with us. I know you're here and you're present because here's the thing why it's so important to be together is that the church at its core is a language school for those who cannot yet comprehend the language. And it is a language school for us who have been out in a world that is not speaking the native tongue of truth. And it's a space that we can gather together and go, oh, I forgot. I forgot what it was like to speak out the truth. And in the same way you go to a language school to start learning the nouns and the verbs and the adjectives and the adverbs along the way, we gather together to teach one another the native language of truth, to, to remind one another who we speak for and why we speak and to speak it out in a way that dispels all of the untruths in it. And this is our battle, to teach the language so that the world can be set free. By the way, this is why worshiping together is so critical. Look, you're, you're always here for my talk. I'm very grateful for that. But this is why being here at 10 o'clock and worshiping together is so critical. Because when we come together and worship, essentially what we were doing is together we are practicing our language. Together we are coming together and saying, we are declaring truths about who God is and about who we are. And we sing it over one another. We sing it up to God, we declare them. And it is us creating a sacred space where the language of truth can once again flourish. It is a place to come out of the constant bombardment of untruth and step into a space where we together are declaring this reality where for a moment we are sheltered. One of the most beautiful images that I love in the scriptures in Zephaniah where it actually says that, that he sings over us. That God actually sings over us his truth. And when we come together and we sing out truths, like you are worthy of every breath. You are worthy of every song that we could ever sing, that we are so grateful. What we are doing is practicing the native language of truth with one another and over one another. And it's a space where we declare who God is and he reminds us of the forgotten language. See, discipleship is about choosing your Lord. And when you choose your Lord, you choose which language you will become fluent in. So the question that you have to answer this morning is, will you choose to be continually incepted by the ideas of the enemy? Or will you learn a new language of truth that will set you free? Let's pray.
Jesus, I thank you that you have come to teach us a new language, to give us a new native tongue of truth and of love, of faith and of hope, of love and kindness and goodness, of joy. And God, would you just make aware to us the places where we have believed the lies of the one who would have us in bondage, who would have us stuck, who would have us exhausted. God, I pray this week that you would just make so clear to us the the, the lies that we have bought into, the ways that we have been conversing in untruth over ourselves, over our communities, our spouses, our kids, our finances, our futures, our careers, our faith. And Jesus, would you open up to us the words of truth that you have? May we start speaking in that. And God, may we become fluent in your hope. And this morning, if you're here and you've not yet connected to Jesus as Lord, or if you're online and you've not yet connected to Jesus as Lord, this is your moment, this is your opportunity. Jesus invites you to step out of speaking all of the language of lies and speaking into his language of truth. That the second you just declare, hey, you're in charge. I follow you, I'm gonna learn the language, I'm in. He instantly starts setting you free. And so this morning, if you have not yet connected to him, this is your moment, whether you haven't connected him in a long time and you're like, hey, I'm in, I'm back. Or maybe you, this is like your first time. That's you, I just want you to pray this prayer with me. It's not magic words. If you're online, you can just click that button that says, the day I choose to follow Jesus. And I want you just to pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I give you my life. I know that I am broken and you came and you died for me and you came back to life. So I make you Lord and I speak truth today, your truth over my life. I thank you in Jesus name, amen, amen. Thank you guys. Hey, thanks for joining us on the Humanity Church Podcast. We hope that this was a meaningful experience and we look forward to connecting again next week for another conversation around what it looks like to live by faith, to be known by love, and to be a voice of hope. Again, for more information about Humanity Church, you can visit us online at humanitychurch.com. And if you want to support the ongoing work here at Humanity Church, including this podcast, you can give online in about 10 seconds by texting the word Humanity Church, one word, to 77977. Thanks and have an amazing week.